Thank you so much, Stuart. Um, it's a wonderful privilege to be here. Can you all hear me clearly? I always tell the PA team to give me some low frequency, so I sound quite powerful. And <laughs> <laughs> but it's a wonderful privilege to be here. Uh, I've known Stuart now for some seven or eight years. We probably became pastors of our respective churches around about the same time. And um, one thing that impressed me about Stuart is the wonderful grace of the Lord that he carries. Uh, whenever he speaks, I see the Lord is speaking to you personally. And um, when he asked me to preach in his church, I, w- I was truly um, challenged, but also privileged that he would, you know, have this kind of faith in me to speak to you this morning. And, and I hope and pray that what I have to share will, will be a blessing um, to you. It will also challenge and motivate you in, in your walk with the Lord. Amen. And, and as you've heard, I pastor a church at the University of Kent campus, so we have some 200 students that normally worship with us during term time, and during the vacation we'll go down to about 100, so we would grow and shrink on a regular basis, and, and every June, July, we, we say goodbye to about 60 people, and it's always a challenging time to do so. I've been doing it for about nine years now, and, and every year I cry, and I, I keep saying, you know, I've got to get, get this thing t- together. I can't keep crying in front of people, but every year it really hits me, because you have them for three years, and just about as they are really getting settled and being a part of, of the team and, and ministering to us, it's time for them to leave. And then about three or four months, we have to gear ourselves up again and welcome new ones into the church. So it's, it's a good, good time because we, we think that's our ministry, to receive, to equip, and to release God's people um, to be all that he's called and created them to be. Amen. Um, in the last few days, I've been thinking of what I should share with, with the church this morning. And um, you know when you, you believe you got a word from God, um, but you're not quite sure if this is what God wants to share. And that's what it's been like the last couple of days. Uh, and as we've been worshiping and we've been hearing people exhorting us and still you know, reading God's word and praying with us, I'm afraid they've actually shared all that I was going to share. So I'll probably be very, very brief, if you don't mind, um, and perhaps repeat a few things um, that has already been shared. And I pray that God will help us. What really was on my mind this, this morning, especially um, as I woke up, is that God wants to remind us of some fundamental truths of our faith. The wonderful thing about being a Christian is that we serve an amazing God. And as we've heard this morning, His love never, ever fails. Never runs dry, never runs out on us. And as we're worshiping, I just pictured the love of God pursuing me. Pursuing me through the dark corners of of this great nation of ours. Pursuing me through the depths of sin and, and all these things. And just being relentless in His pursuit. And try, I say, as I made you to evade this pursuit, he's always right there. I don't know about you, but that's, that is and was and has been the story of my life. That I got to a point that I just, you know, I give up. I give up and I just felt this wonderful embrace of God. Not of a, of a tired, you know, fed up father, but of a relieved father that I have given up to his unrelenting love. And I believe that God wants to remind us this morning of some of these fundamental truths of our faith. We serve an awesome God. But the first thing I want to remind us of as Pentecostals is that we must know that we have been anointed and appointed to preach the gospel of God. We have been anointed. 
in Acts 1 verse 48, when Jesus was resurrected and he was assembled together with his disciples, he commanded them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you have heard from me. For John truly baptized you with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Therefore, when they had come together, they asked him, saying, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom of Israel? Now, it's wonderful, isn't it? God is promising them the Holy Spirit. And they are asking, when are you going to come and restore the kingdom? And we can be like that as Christians of today. We have been saved and sanctified, and we are almost sitting around singing Kumbaya until the Lord comes to take us home. I remember when I was teaching in, in, a, in a secondary school in Broadstairs some seven, eight years ago. Um, it was during the break time. I was in my classroom doing some, some work, marking some, some books. And I heard this loud voice. I mean, it was thunderous. So I rushed outside and said, Christ is coming. And the kids in the playground looked at me and said, Sir, are you okay? I thought, I'm fine, I'm fine. <laughs> and, and I found out about a week later that Concord was making its final flight. And was flying from Manson Airport, which is only a few miles down the road from where we are. And if you've heard Concord fly, it's, it's quite loud. And I thought, this is a trumpet sound. Christ is coming. And as I stood there all embarrassed, I just said, God say to me, look around these kids playing this playground. If I was to come today, most of them would not go with me. And my heart sank. And I know sometimes in my own life, this sense of urgency that Christ is coming is lost on me. I don't know about you guys, but I may be alone in this, but I believe that we have to get back to that sense of urgency that we need to spread the gospel of Christ because Christ is coming soon. Amen? As Pentecostals, we have been anointed and appointed to share the good news. The Lord said to them, it's not for you to know the season and times that the Father has placed in his own hands, but you shall receive what? Power. When the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem, in all Judea, in Samaria, and to the end of the earth. In the very next chapter, we know this promise spoken by Jesus Christ and prophesied by Joel some thousands of years before that came to pass. Now, on the day of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit was poured out upon all the disciples assembled in the upper room praying. And they began to speak in other tongues as the Holy Spirit gave them utterance. Peter, who fled in the Garden of Gethsemane, preached powerfully, and on that day, 3,000 people became born again. When we look at the horrible things that happen in our world, we can be forgiven for thinking that there is no hope. We can almost feel powerless. We are unable to change the world around us, but today I believe that God wants to remind us that we are not powerless, but we are powerful because the Holy Spirit dwells in us. He is the power that runs in our veins, we heard this morning. The Holy Spirit dwells in us, and he has anointed us to preach the gospel of God. And we, as the body of Christ, we must understand that the same anointing that was upon Christ is upon us, his church. That today we have also been anointed to preach what? Blight tidings. To open up the prison doors, to declare the acceptable year of the Lord. That we will be what the, the Lord's planting. We will actually rebuild the ancient ruins. It's time for us Pentecostals to rebuild the spiritual ruins of our nation again. Amen. We have been anointed to comfort those who mourn. To comfort those who mourn in Tambridge Wells. Amen. 
and to give them the oil of joy for mourning, the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness. That the people of this wonderful town, is it a city or town or town? Really? We, we, we are living in a city in Canterbury, and it's much smaller than this. Canterbury really should be a village, if it went for the cathedral. Uh, really, it should be. All the roads are so small, you, you can't drive past the car that you have to wait somewhere for them to pass, but somehow it's a city. But we have been anointed as God's church to transform this town. Amen? I truly believe that. And, and, and it's time for us to remind ourselves who we are in Christ and the wonderful anointing that he has gifted us with to do his work. What Christ began is still ongoing and we are supposed to carry it on as his hands and his feet. We have to be hope carriers. Wherever we go, we have to be his presence carriers. In our workplaces, we have to bring change. In our schools and colleges, we have to bring change because we carry the very presence of God. And I know in my own life, sometimes that is lost on me. In the busyness of this life, that can be lost on me. And I believe that this morning, God wants to remind us of that. Amen. As the testimonies were being shared, I, I remember um, about four or five years ago, I was on my way um, to work. And as I was going into my office, the receptionist, who was normally very pleasant and full of smiles, was a bit, a bit quiet, you know, and downcast. So I, I said to her, are you okay? And she said, yeah, I'm fine. I said, I mean, really, are you okay? Because you look a bit like you're unhappy about something. And she says, well, my daughter is pregnant, and um, we just had a scan a couple of days ago, and, and the baby's not very well. You know, um, he's got a hole in the heart and you know, cleft lips and clapped feet and, and all kinds of stuff. And we are quite worried. And, and as she said that, my heart sunk, and all I could think about is, do you mind if I pray with you? And, and she says, you know, I'm not very religious, but why not? Why don't you pray? So I prayed with her very briefly, and I said, do you mind if I ask my prayer team at church to, to pray for you and for your daughter? She says, no, I don't. So we prayed for you know, a couple of weeks or, or a month or whatever, and we just kept praying, believing that God would do something amazing. You know, I, I forgot completely about it. And uh, about two months later, I was, again, on my way to my office, and she came rushing out the reception. Says, guess what? We just had um, another scan, and the baby is fine. You know, everything seems fine. He's still got clapped feet, but the hole in the heart is gone. The cleft lips is disappeared, and, and he's fine. I don't know how, how this happened. I said, well, God is at work in your daughter's life. We're going to pray that the clapped feet will also go. So we kept praying. And about two years later, I was with my wife in, in the middle of, I don't know if it was Asda or Sainsbury's. I can't quite remember. It couldn't have been Waitrose because we know that posh. So it must have been Asda or, or Sainsbury's. And, and she came rushing to me and says, oh, I wanted to meet somebody. So she brought her daughter and the baby, who was now probably about a year or so old, and said, this is the kid you prayed for. And look at him. He's perfect. And I thought, wow. You know, God is in the business of doing amazing things through ordinary people. But the thing is, often we don't give him that opportunity because we allow fear, anxiety, we, we allow, you know, whatever to come in the way. And I remember I almost did not offer to pray for this lady. Because I kept thinking, what if she turns me down? What if she says, I don't believe in all that kind of mumbo-jumbo stuff? What if? But, you know, I was bold enough to share my faith with her and pray for her. And God did something amazing. Amazing. We must never, ever neglect the gift of the Holy Spirit that God has given us. That we, ordinary people like us, can do extraordinary things because God is at work in and through our lives. Amen. 
those of us that call ourselves Pentecostals, we have to take a hold of this truth. We have been given the wonderful privilege to be world changers. Lord Jesus Christ has destined us to be world changers. We have to turn wherever we are the right way up, not upside down, the right way up wherever we go because we are presence carriers. I believe that it's time for the Assemblies of God churches in this nation to start taking our communities, to start taking our counties and our nation for the Lord. Amen. Because this is what we have been anointed to do. Amen. The second truth that I would like to perhaps dwell a bit more on today is that we serve an awesome God. We serve an amazing God. And we, we have been hearing this morning from the worship team some of the wonderful things about our God. And it's important. I've been so encouraged this morning because you have been singing scripture and you have been reading scripture. And it's so important that when we come into God's presence that we read and hear the word of God. Amen. Because the word of God can change and transform us. We serve an awesome God. I, I first preached on this perhaps about two years ago. It's been about seven years since I started pastoring the church. And I woke up on the morning of my seventh anniversary as a pastor. And I looked back some seven or so years. And I began to think about how far God had brought me and the church. And, and I wrote down these seven things about God that to me were all inspiring. That whenever I think about them, I am in awe of God. And the first one is that his love is unfailing. His love is unfailing. I pray that this morning that you will allow these words to have some purchase on you. That God's love is unfailing. It never gives up. It never runs dry. Hallelujah. Psalm 36, 5 to 10 says this. Your love O oh Lord, reaches to the heavens. Your faithfulness to the skies. Your righteousness is like the highest mountains. Your justice like the great deep. You, O oh Lord, preserve both people and animals. Your priceless, how priceless is your unfailing love, O oh God. People take refuge in the shadow of your wings. They feast on the abundance of your house. You give them drink for your river of, from your river of delights. For with you, is the fountain of life. In your light we see light. Continue your love to those who know you. Your righteousness to the upright in heart. Hallelujah. We heard this morning read by Stuart. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? I know sometimes we can be beset by so many challenges and we are in danger of thinking that God has given up on us. We are almost in danger of surrendering to our circumstances. But we have to keep believing that if God is for us, who can be against us? Because God did not spare his own son. Even when we were aliens from him, he did not spare his own son, but he gave him up freely for us. How much more? How much more? And now that we are justified in, in God, how much more would he also through him give us all good things? Hallelujah. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress, or persecution or famine, or nakedness or peril, or the sword, as it is written, for yours we are killed all day long. We are accounted as sheep for the slaughter, yet in all of these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. I believe this. With my whole heart, I believe this. That it, it, it does not matter what we face in life. 
it does not matter what is going on around us. You know, it, it may seem, and I repeat, it may seem like the church of God is on a decline. On the contrary, we are on the rise. Amen. We may seem like we have been counted out. But we are going to rise up because in all of this, we are more than conquerors. I believe that the destiny of our nation is in the hands of the people of God. And if we can begin to exercise our God-given authority, we can indeed transform our nation. We are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am persuaded, I am convinced, I am you know, under no doubt that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus. Romans 8, 31 to 39. That no other created thing includes you. It does not matter what you have done. It does not matter how far you have strayed, the grace of God is able to reach and draw you back. That includes you. We cannot cause the love of God towards us to relent. And nothing will be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus. One thing that I've learned from God in the last 15 years or so of my life is that God is a God of love. His love is unfailing. And I say time and again that I don't know why God loves me the way he does, but I am grateful that he does. Amen? Because his love is unrelenting. The second thing that caused me to be in awe of God is God's limitless capacity and ability to forgive. That he is a God of forgiveness. This is linked to his love. The love of God compels him to forgive us for our wrongs. Now look at my own life, how much the Lord has forgiven me for. It makes it almost impossible to hold a grudge. Hello? The Lord is gracious and full of compassion. Slow to anger and great in mercy. The Lord is good to all. And his tender mercies are over all his works. Psalm 145, verse 8 to 9. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in mercy. He will not always strive with us, nor will he keep his anger forever. He has not dealt with us according to our sins. Thank you, Lord. Nor has he punished us according to our iniquities. For as the heavens are high above the earth, so great is his mercy towards those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. As a father pities his children, so the Lord pities those who fear him. Psalm 103, verse 8 to 13. When I think about God's forgiveness, I am in awe. That a God who is all sufficient, a God who does not need the likes of me to cause him problems and cause him to be stressed out, or for whatever reason, continue to pursue me with his grace and his mercy, continuously forgive when I think about God's forgiveness, I am truly in awe of this God that we serve. Sometimes the church, when we are worshipping, all I can say is, what manner of God is this? What manner of God is that can love the unlovable? Can save those that are, are beyond saving, humanly speaking? What manner of God is this? When I was about nine years old, I, I, I had a dream. And the Lord had called me to become a priest. 
we were Catholics those days. My parents still are. And when I visit them, I still attend the Catholic church. So I went to my father in the morning and said, I, I want to become a priest. And he almost laughed because he doesn't know why a nine-year-old would normally say. But when he saw that I was quite serious, he said, why, why, why would you say that? And said, I think that's what the Lord is asking me to do. And he says, you're about a year away from secondary school, finished secondary school, and if you still want to become a priest, I'll take you to the seminary myself. So I went through school and did my GCSEs, and when the results came, my dad called me and said, you had fantastic results. Do you want to go to sixth form or the seminary? For the seminary, why would I want to do that? He said, because when you were nine, you said you went to go to seminary. I said, oh, just you know, childish talk. By now, I was about 16, and I, there were more important things in life than going to the seminary. And, and as I grew up, I took part in all kinds of stuff that teenagers do, except those in this church, because you are very holy. You know, and I got to a point that I felt, I am beyond redemption, let alone being used by God. And when I went to university, University of Kent, in my second year, I was asked by a couple of friends of mine if I would join them to sing at the International Night Festival. I thought, why not? So I, I said yes before I even asked them, what song were you singing? So we got there to practice and we were singing, I surrender all. And I thought, okay, I know that song. I, you know, I can play my part. So we, we actually rehearsed and practiced for about a couple of weeks. The day came, we were still on this big stage in one of these huge auditoriums at the university. And we sang, I surrender all. And as I sang the chorus of this song, I thought the Lord said to me, do you really surrender to me, Aaron? And right there on that stage, I was convicted by the Lord. I walked the next Sunday to New Life Church where I pastor now and I said, I need you to pray for me. You know, I pursued God if I want a breakthrough. I pursued God if I want a favor from God. I pursued God if I felt I've sinned too much and my destiny is hell and I want him to save me. I pursue God for all kinds of reasons, but I want to pursue him for who he is. They prayed for me some 15 or so years ago, and I've not looked back since. But when I think back, when I turn my life around and say, Lord, here I am. Take me, use me as you please. I did not face condemnation from God. I was not constantly reminded of all the wrongs I have done, but I was embraced in the arms of the Lord. And it's as if that all that had passed in those 20 or so years were just wiped away and I had a fresh start with the Lord. And I thought, wow, but how can this happen? You know, I was happy that I was escaping hell to one day go to heaven, but to understand that all this privilege is also related to my life, that was mind-blowing. When I think about God's forgiveness, I am in awe. I am in awe that the Lord will even use the likes of me to pastor His church. It's mind-blowing. And I'm here to tell you, no matter what you are being through, no matter how you think you are inadequate, God is able to use you. In whatever sphere of life you are in, God is able to use you to touch and transform lives. Amen. God is a God of forgiveness. And we, are, 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 we his people, we have to, to share this with the world. That God is a God of love and God is a God of forgiveness. You know... Uh, my church is right in the middle of the University of Kent, a secular university. And in this university, everything goes. We have probably about a dozen Christian societies, but we also have the Buddhist society, we have the um, Islamic society, we have the pagan society. We have all kinds of societies. Anything goes. 
And, and often we, things come to a head when the Christian faith challenged some lifestyles. In the last four or five years, I, I lose count of the number of times I've been asked, so what do you think about the whole gay marriage issue? And I don't know about you, but personally I'm not challenged by that. And I'll tell you why. Because we cannot expect the world to live as Christians if we don't do, the, do so ourselves. If you are to ask me what do I believe that Christian marriage is, I can tell you. But if you ask me what do I think about gay marriage, well, they live in the world. And you're not know, governed by Christian principles. So they can do whatever they want. But what is more important to me is I want to share the love of God. The forgiveness of God. Because I was in a far worse place than they were when the love of God reached out and pulled me out. So sometimes I think that we are too quick to condemn. But we must be quicker to share the love and forgiveness of God as Christians. Amen. When they brought the woman caught in adultery to, to the Lord Jesus Christ, I always wonder where was the man, but that's another, another story. When they brought her, and they said this woman was caught in the very act of adultery. It wasn't a rumor. She was caught in the very act. What do you say? And Jesus began to write in the sand. The Bible does not say, but I believe that he was probably inquiring of the Lord. How am I to handle this? As we heard this morning, he said a short prayer to the Lord and said, how am I to handle this whole situation? I believe that's what the Lord was doing. I may be wrong, but that's why I believe. But the wonderful thing is this. The process that the Lord took this woman through, I think is key when it comes to us as Christians in dealing with the world. The first thing he said was, he who without sin cast the first stone. And one by one, they left. And he said, where are your accusers? Have they all left? She said, yes. He said, neither do I condemn you. Then he said, go and sin no more. The process was this. The Lord showed that we are all full of sin. For all have sinned and fall short of God's glory. But we are freely what? Justified through grace. So he showed her that we have all sinned. And then he did not condemn her. Rather, embraced her. Then he dealt with her sin. Unless we share the love of God, the forgiveness of God, we cannot deal with the sin of the world. I truly believe that. This is why when I think about God's love and God's forgiveness, I am in awe of God. Because when God sees us, he does not first see our sin. He sees us through the love of Christ. And he's almost compelled to embrace us. All who will call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. But how will they call upon this name unless they are told? We as Christians, we must first share God's love, share his forgiveness before we even have the privilege to deal with their sin. The third thing that for me is, causes me to be in awe of God is God's faithfulness. God is a promise keeper. When I was nine years old, I felt the call of God on my life. It took me until I was about 34 to become a pastor. All kinds of things that happened in my life, but God's, God's faithfulness kept me. 
God is a promise keeper. Whatever the Lord has spoken over your life, I believe that he will also be faithful to bring it to completion. Amen. God is a faithful God. We read in Jeremiah chapter 1, the Lord says that, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I set you apart. I appointed you to be a prophet to the nations. Alas, sovereign God, I said, I do not know how to speak. I am too young. The Lord said to me, do not, do not say I am too young. You must go to everyone I send you and say whatever I command you. Do not be afraid of them, for I am with you and I will rescue you, declares the Lord. Then the Lord reached out his hand and touched my mouth and said to me, I have put my words in your mouth. See, today I have appointed you over the nations and kingdoms to uproot and tear down, to destroy and overthrow, to build and to plant. I believe that the Lord has destined us, his people, to tear down and to build, to uproot and to plant. The Lord has called us as prophets to the nations to declare his good news. Amen. God is a promise keeper. And he promised the church that wait for the Holy Spirit because when he has come, you will receive power. And you'll be witnesses unto my name in all of Jerusalem, in all of, all of Judea and Samaria. God is a promise keeper. And I believe that this morning, he wants to remind you and me that we are to go and do what he has called us to do because he will be with us in Jesus' name. Amen. Therefore know that the Lord your God, he is God, the faithful God who keeps his covenant and mercy for a thousand generations with those who love him, and keep his commandments. Deuteronomy 7 verse 9. God watches over his word to perform it. He is a faithful God. Whatever promise that he has spoken over your life, God will fulfill it in Jesus' name. Amen. I don't have to be a prophet to know that there must be some in this building right now who have been waiting for the Lord to answer a prayer for a while. And I know that hope deferred can make the heart grow sick. But I believe that the Lord wants you to know this morning that a delay is never a denial. If you hold on to his promise, he says that he is a promise keeper. He's a faithful God and he will surely come through for you in Jesus' name. The fourth thing that causes me to be in awe of our God is that he is meticulous when it comes to planning our lives. No detail of our lives is lost on the Lord. God is careful in planning our lives. Psalm 139 verse 14 16 says this, I praise you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made and marvelous are your works and that my soul knows very well. I am fearfully and wonderfully made. You can think about the dawn of creation when God began to knit man together from the dust of the earth. How fearful and wonderful that must have been. We are fearfully and wonderfully made by God. And marvelous are all his works. And we must be convinced about this. Our souls must know this very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in secret and skillfully wrought in the lowest parts of the earth. Your eyes saw my substance yet being unformed. And in your book, they are all written. The days fashioned for me. When I see it, there were none of them. God knows the end from the beginning. He plans our lives meticulously. He has skillfully brought us the lowest part of the earth. We are wonderfully and fearfully made by him. And God 
has planned our lives in a way that nothing just happens. Nothing just happens. Everything that God allows to happen in our lives is for a reason and is for a purpose. One time in a prayer meeting, I was talking to a sister of mine in the church, and she said something that really caused my heart to sink. And she asked, you know, what if we make so many mistakes that God's plans can become either delayed or forfeited? What about that? And, and, and God dropped something into my spirit. I said to her, you know what? I believe that God is a, is a master painter. And he's painted the masterpiece of our lives. And he has allowed brush strokes for our mistakes. They will form part of his masterpiece. Nothing just happens with a child of God. Amen? Everything happens for a reason. God is meticulous in planning our lives. The wrong turn that you made, God has allowed for it. The bad decision that you made, God has allowed for it. His masterpiece will be realized in your life if only you will believe in him. Amen. God is meticulous in planning our lives. The steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord. And he delights in his way. Though he falls, he shall not be utterly cast down. For the Lord upholds him with his hand. Nothing is a coincidence with God. Nothing. I shared earlier that I was teaching uh, the secondary school in Brosters. When I finished my master's in chemistry, I, I felt the Lord asked me to go and teach. So I loved teaching. Even though I was a student, I would help my, my mates you know, in all this difficult concept of chemistry. And um, I just thought, I would, I would just love to teach. I, I had a position to be a, uh, a medical sales rep in those days with one of these big um, companies. But I just felt... No, I want to go and teach. So I, sh- I shared that with my, my parents. And they said, no, no, go and work in the industry. It's, it's better paid. My dad was a teacher for, for all his life. So he knows what it's like to be a teacher. And he says, you don't want to go into teaching. You know? But I, said, I feel this is what the Lord is, is saying. So I, I went and I applied for, for a teaching position. And, and I trained for a year to become a teacher. And I got a position with St. George's School in Boston. And I, 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 I loved it. The kids were interesting. <laughs> they were interesting, but I, I loved it nonetheless. I remember my first lesson, I, I walked into this classroom, and there were 24 giants, all 16 years old. I mean, some had beards, you know, and seriously. They were giants. And, and I walked into the back room, and I began to pray in tongues. All kinds of tongues. I said, Lord, make me a giant killer. But, you know, <laughs> metaphorically speaking, that is... They are all still alive and, and doing well. Praise the Lord. But I, I taught in this school, and I really loved it. I was there for about three and a half years, and I loved it. And again, after about three and a half years, I just felt I had to leave. So I went to the head teacher and I said to him, you know, I, I just sense that I, I need to leave and maybe find another school to teach at. And he says, why are you not happy? I said, I'm happy. I love this school, but that's what I sense. But I don't want to go without your blessing. You know, and he looked at me a bit funny. He said, well, why would he want my blessing? He said, oh, anyway. You know, and he said to me, you know, I'm thinking of doing some stuff in the science department. Just give me a year or so, because I want to turn things around. And you, you were a part of that. And just give me a year or so. I said, okay, fine, I will. So I stayed for another year. You know, and I loved that year as well. At the end of the year, I went back to him and said, you know, I, I still believe that I have to leave this school. And he said to me, well, if that's what you believe, then, you know, go with my blessing. So I applied for a job in Canterbury, and I, I got um, into a drama school. And... Um, 
I was there just for one term. I went into the school. I hated the school. The kids hated me. I hated them. You know. I, I, I hope I slept by salvation, Lord. Uh, but it was true. And I, I'm thinking, why would God bring me to this place to come and die? I, I was in St. George's. I was loved by everyone. I loved everybody. I was doing well. I was on course for promotion. Why would he bring me here to come and die? And in about a month after I was in this school, I got a call from the University of Kent. And since we got two positions for a PhD, would you like to? I said, I will take it. <laughs> I will take it. But I said, well, we can pay your, your fees, but there's no stipend for you to live. I said, don't worry, I'll take it. Anywhere but here. I can be on campus, I can help the church out, and I can escape this hell. <laughs> so I, I started doing my PhD. You know, I had no money. You know, I had to go back to St. George to do some um, supply teaching for a while. I had to cut down on my expenses. It was tight, but I was happy. And six months into my PhD, the pastor of our church came to my house one afternoon and said, I'm leaving. There's been some issues, and I can't pastor anymore, and I'm leaving. I thought, what do you mean you're leaving? What's going to happen to the church? He says, well, I don't know, you know I, but I can't pastor it. And he left. And I was thrust into leadership, literally overnight. But because I was on campus doing my PhD and I could also manage my own time, I was on hand to try and stabilize things. And I looked back and I just thought, how the Lord meticulously planned my steps. If I'd been in St. George's when the PhD offer came, no way in hell would I have taken it. No way. But God had to put me through a pit stop to make life so uncomfortable to lead me on to the next path. Nothing just happens. I thought I made the biggest mistake of my life, but I was right in God's path for my life. Well, sometimes the Lord may take us through challenges and difficulties, and we may think that we are going the opposite direction of our destinies, but God may be taking you through a shortcut. Amen? Look at the life of Joseph. He had a dream, and Joseph had, also had a big mouth. He spoke about his dream to everybody. Sometimes when God gives you a dream, you have to hold it for a while. And pray about it for a while, because not everybody can handle your dream. So Joseph was sold into slavery to Potiphar's house. He was wrongly accused and put into a dungeon somewhere. And Joseph probably would have thought, man, I'm so far away from my destiny. I, I dreamt of greatness, and now I'm in a pit somewhere. But little did he know that God was taking him through the shortest route possible to his destiny. Nothing just happened in the life of a child of God. God meticulously plans our lives. When I think about this, I am actually in awe of God. That all that has happened to my life up until this point is part of what God will use for the next part of my life. Amen. And God wants to tell you this morning that nothing just happens in your life. He is painting the masterpiece of your life and he has allowed brush strokes for, even for your mistakes. Amen. The fifth thing, I'll rush through this very quickly if I can, that caused me to be in awe of God, is that God will use the simple things that we offer him to achieve great and awesome things. God will use natural vessels to achieve supernatural results. Amen? 1 Corinthians 1, 26-29 says this, For you see your calling, brothers and sisters, that not many wise according to the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called. Isn't God wonderful? Not many wise. 
so I qualified. Not many mighty, so I qualified. Not many noble, praise the Lord, I qualified. Remember once when I first became a pastor, we held a, a conference for friends of Israel, talking about you know, um, Jewish people, how the church should pray for them. Right about that time, my brother had been killed in London. You know, six months into my PhD, I was called to become a minister. And six months afterwards, somebody murdered my, my brother in London. It was a terrible time of my life. And um, so I wasn't able to go to this conference. I was at home, you know, and um, about halfway through the day, I just felt to get up and go to this conference and just be a part of, you know, what God was doing then. So I walked into this conference, sat at the back. And as I sat at the back, the, 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 the speaker announced, oh, we are privileged to have our host, Pastor Aaron, just walk in. And they all looked past me to see if there was somebody else coming. I said, that, that, that's me. Not many wise, not many mighty, not many noble are called. But God has chosen the foolish things of this world to put to shame the wise. And the weak things he has chosen to put to shame the things which are mighty. And the base things of the world he and the things that are despised, God has chosen. The things which are not to bring to nothing the things that are, that no flesh should glory in his presence. God can use natural people like you and me to achieve supernatural things. I believe this so wholeheartedly. That we are all destined to walk in greatness. But sometimes we have to elevate our faith. To allow God to achieve these great things. Because God draws out this greatness out of our weakness. When we are weak, that's when God is most strong in, in our lives. And, and for about three years, I kept praying. Asking God, God, what must I do in the church? How? How must I pray? How must I preach? You know, I kept asking God. And one day I just said to myself, I cannot wait for the day that I will have to stop asking God every step of the way what to do. And you know what? The more the years have rolled by, the more I keep asking God. We are always dependent upon God. But God will use simple things, simple things like you and I to do great things. And when I think about that, God will even allow me to be a part of his great and divine enterprise. I am in awe. I am in awe. I look at our church. That was on the brink of, of collapse. Our minister for some 19 years was departing all of a sudden. And we were besides ourselves. What are we to do? And the three months that followed, God doubled the size of the church. Isn't that wonderful? We had a sense of God. God blessed them coming to us and said, how are things? I'm like, things are fine. Are you sure? I said, yes, they are. Okay, we've got to come and visit you anyway because we have to see for ourselves. Because no church goes through what you are going through and remain fine. But they will come and the presence of God will turn up so powerfully. We went from about 60 to 120 in a matter of three months. And God began to add to our numbers. So we look at ourselves thinking, how is God doing this? God will use simple things that we offer him to achieve great things. When God called Moses, I have appointed you to ransom Israel from Egypt. Moses, who was educated in the best universities of Egypt, said, I, I cannot speak. I am not eloquent. The New Testament describes Moses as of eloquent speech. But Moses is saying, I, I cannot speak. The Lord said to him, what do you have in your hand? All I have is a stick. And this morning God is asking us, what do you have in your hand to offer me? Whatever you have Maybe your voice, maybe your smile, maybe your presence. Offer that to God and watch him do amazing things through it. Amen. The sixth thing 
that caused me to be in awe of God is that God is a wonderful provider. He's an awesome provider. Psalm 37 verse 25 says this, I have been young and now I'm old, yet I have not seen the righteous forsaken, nor his seed begging for bread. God is a wonderful provider. If I look in my own life, how God has provided for me is, is mind-blowing. I, I went from having a, a, a good job, getting a good wage, to be a PhD student with no money coming in. But somehow, way, I paid my bills. I paid my rent. I had food to eat. For, for about six months, I ate in the finest restaurants in Canterbury without paying a dime. I had been praying for breakthrough in my finance for months on end. So God, when are you going to answer me? I've been praying. Give me a wonderful job. And I forgot to say to me, think back, Aaron. Last six months, what's happened to you? I said, well, I've eaten in the finest restaurants. Somebody even bought me a car. I said, I may not have given you a wonderful job, but I am still providing for you. God is our Jehovah Jireh. He foresees our need and makes more than adequate provision for us. Amen. He is a wonderful provider. The seventh and last thing, I want to share with you this morning that I think is all inspiring about God is that God is a great and awesome God. God is a great and awesome God. And sometimes this is lost on us because we know him as a father, as a savior, as a loving God, as a forgiving God, but we, we seldom know him as a warrior. But if you look in the Bible, most times God is, is described as the Lord of hosts, Lord of Sabaoth. He is the commander of the army of heaven. Amen. In the Bible, one angel killed 180,000 people. God commands trillions of such angels. God is a God of hosts. God is a God of, of war. And he fights on our behalf. And I believe that this morning we have to be in awe of God once again. The fear and the awe of God sometimes is lost in our church. God can sometimes become a Father Christmas figure. That we go to and rub his big belly and he gives us gifts. God is an awesome God. John, the revelator, the one who laid his head on, on the shoulder of the, of the Lord Jesus Christ, when he saw the Lord revealed in his glory, he fell to his face as if he was dead. I think we have to be confronted by God's awesomeness. God's awesomeness. Because that will fill us, fill us with reverence and fear of the Lord, but it also fill us with courage. That if the command of the Lord's army is going before us, then what can we fear? Joshua and the people of Israel came to the walls of Jericho. And they stood in the this fortified city. That was impregnable. No one was able to go in or go out when the gates were shut. And Joshua woke in the morning to seek the Lord. He saw a man standing with a, with a sword. And he said, are you for us or with our enemy? This man, whom I believe was the revealed Christ, said, neither. But as the commander of the Lord's army, I have. This morning, God's people, whatever war that you are standing in front, as a church or as individuals, know that the Lord has appointed you and anointed you to break through. And he goes before you as a God of war. He has come as a commander of the Lord's army and nothing will be able to stand in your way. He is the one who is building this church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Amen. May God bless you and keep you. In Jesus' name, amen.